Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Sexual sin is everywhere in our world, whether out in front of us or kept secret and private. What are we supposed to do with such a powerful part of our humanity? Did you know that there's more to sexual intimacy than just physical connection? You're listening to Going Deeper, If You Even Look, by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel again, from the Sermon on the Mount. And the part of the Sermon on the Mount that I will be reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. And remember, this uh, sermon series is called Growing Deeper. It's called Growing Deeper because um, in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus does. He He talks about commandments, but he drives us below the surface of the commandment to its heart, to its deeper meaning. And if you listen, you can hear him very clearly doing that, going beneath the surface in these words. Jesus says to us, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. I'm guessing that many of you know the name Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias. He's a famous Christian speaker. He's been quite famous for at least 30 years. He rose to prominence, I think, in the 80s and in the 90s. And he rose to prominence as a speaker, and especially a speaker who spoke on apologetics. And if you remember from this summer, apologetics is uh, the ability to be able to defend your faith, defend your faith against the accusations and questions of unbelievers, and defend it from your own accusations and questions. And he was really, really good speaker, really, really good at apologetics. He went all over the world, all over this country, spoke to thousands and thousands of people, wrote lots of books. He was really good at what he does, and and he influenced a lot of Christians, my own um, in-laws, their family. Every summer, they would go to a Christian camp in New York State in the Adirondacks called Camp of the Woods. I don't know if you've heard of it. Big camp. And at Camp of the Woods, the way it works is you have a speaker every week, and in the morning, this big-name speaker speaks, and you have a Bible study in the afternoon, you do campy things, and it sort of builds your faith. Every year, Ravi Zacharias would come and speak at Camp of the Woods, and he was one of the Dykstra family's absolute favorites. Ravi Zacharias died last year, and soon after he died, rumors began to come out. Women came forward with accusations. Apparently, he owned a couple of day spas, which is already kind of a weird thing for a minister to own, but he owned a couple of day spas. And women who worked at these spas as massage therapists and other jobs told of unwanted advances unwanted contact, and stories of things that I cannot tell when children are present. 
At first, Ravi Zacharias's ministry denied everything. They said, oh, this is just an accusation. This is what unbelievers are saying. None of this is true. They're trying to bring down Ravi. They're trying to bring down the church. And so they did an internal investigation. And just before Christmas, the result of that internal investigation come, came up. And sure enough, it's all true. For years, this man who had influenced so many and helped so many had this secret life of sexual sin. And when I heard that, maybe when you heard it too, if you heard it, I said, are you kidding me? Not again. Because it is again, right? It is again. There's been this litany of high-profile Christian leaders, men. Unfortunately, they're all men that I know of. Men who are self-controlled and professional in their business dealings, but under the surface do these foolish, foolish, sinful things, sexual things that end up destroying the good name of their ministry and destroying the good name of this church. You know the names, Robbie Zacharias, Bill Hybels, Jean Vanier, Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Baker, Add those names to the names of lesser-known ministers from this town who've fallen into that sort of stuff. Add those names to all the names of the Catholic priests in the Catholic priest abuse scandals, and pretty soon you have a hot mess. And we find ourselves saying, why, 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 why does this keep on happening? There's a complicated reasons for why this sort of stuff happens, but at least one of the reasons for it is the power of the human sexual drive. Our human sex drive is a powerful thing. We don't want to admit that it's there. We like to walk around like it doesn't affect us. But the truth of the matter is that just underneath the surface, our sexual feelings, our sexual drives are part of the churn of our mind and our thoughts. And they're there all the time. Stronger when we're kids, when we're younger, a little less when we're older, but still absolutely there and part of who we are. And not only are they always there, when we see what happens to people like Ravi Zacharias or Bill Hybels or any of these other names, we realize they're there and they're incredibly strong. Strong enough that if we're not careful, they can sweep us away in sin that destroys families and institutions. In this congregation right here this morning and in the congregation walking out there, there are many, many, many people who have deep struggles with sexual sin. There are many, many who are struggling with pornography. There are many who are struggling or have struggled with masturbation. There are many whose families are struggling directly or indirectly from the wounds of adultery and still trying to heal from that and still limping in their families because of a betrayal in the past. Sexual sin is pervasive and sexual feelings are strong and all of us at some level try to deal with them and deal with the perplexity that they create. The Bible is absolutely realistic about the power of these desires. That's why in both Testaments you hear repeated warnings. In the Old Testament, you have the commandment that Ruth read this morning, you shall not commit adultery. But in addition to that, you have all kinds of stories like David and Bathsheba and Samson and Delilah and Potiphar's wife and Joseph and Amnon and Tamar all warning against the danger of this sin. In the New Testament, the warnings absolutely continue. Thessalonians, don't live lives of passionate lust like the heathens. 
Ephesians, don't be like the Gentiles who have abandoned all sensitivity and given themselves over to sensuality. Hebrews, keep the marriage bread pure, people. Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. And then in our passage, our Lord himself saying, you know, this isn't just about physical sin. This is about your thoughts. This is about your heart. This is what's about going on in your imaginations. I'll get to Jesus' teaching in a moment. I want to look at it more carefully and more closely. But before I do that, I need to say something, sort of a preamble to this whole discussion. The way I've been talking so far, you might get the impression that our sexuality is sinful, that it's a danger, that it's a bad thing because it causes so much trouble. That's not the biblical story. Our sexuality, our sexual desires are good. They are a good gift from God. We know that because in Genesis 2, before the fall, Adam and Eve come together and they make one flesh, which almost certainly means they're they're sexual union. We know that sex is good because in passages like Proverbs 5, the Lord calls us through the teacher to say, Enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy pleasure with the wife of your youth while you're young. And we know that sex is good because in the Bible, there's a book called the Song of Songs, which is some of the most sensual and beautiful love poetry that you will ever read. So sex is a good gift. It's given for intimacy. It's given for enjoyment. And it's really, really powerful. And that's why, like all good things powerful things, when they go wrong, when it goes wrong, it causes so much trouble. So Jesus goes deeper with his powerful force. He says to us, you people like to think that adultery is only about something physical that you do with another person, but I'm here to tell you that if you even look at another woman lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. And if you ever fantasize about being with that other guy, you've already committed adultery adultery. Wow. I remember reading this commandment as a 16-year-old and feeling like, Lord, increase my faith. And Lord, how can this be? How am I supposed to keep this command? If this is true, Lord, you gave me these good, powerful sexual desires. How do you expect me to, to not notice these beautiful creatures who stream by me in the hallways of my high school? Lord, what am I supposed to do? Well, let me offer a word of relief to my 16-year-old self and to you, the Greek word that Jesus uses for looking is blepon. And blepon doesn't just mean glance or look. Blepon means stare. And in this case, clearly, Jesus is explicit. It means stare with lustful intent. So my 16-year-old self noticing a beautiful girl and saying, wow, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is when that wow turns into fantasizing. Martin Luther, who always had a colorful way of putting things, uh, puts it this way. He says, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, so that that gives a little bit of room to my 16-year-old self and to my 54-year-old self. But then with the very next thing Jesus says, he tightens the screws again and makes it difficult. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Now, I said in the very first sermon of this series that I don't think Jesus means that literally, because if he did, everyone in this congregation would be blind and handless. 
including me. Nevertheless, I do think that when Jesus says this, he literally means for us to cut things off. When Jesus says this, he does literally mean for us to cut things off. He means for us to cut out of our lives, cut things and situations out of our lives that might lead us into this sin. To cut off people and media and situations that we know might get us in trouble. Maybe you've heard of the Billy Graham rule. Billy Graham, in his ministry, had a rule that he kept. He would never eat, meet, or travel alone with a woman who was not his wife. That was a rule he practiced. He cut himself off from those kinds of situations as a way to keep himself on the path. Now, some people have been a little critical of the Billy Graham rule. For example, a couple years ago, Tish Warren, whom Dr. Mass actually cited in his sermon a few weeks ago, Tish Warren wrote a gentle critique of the Billy Graham rule saying, you know, it makes it sound like women are the problem and it potentially cuts women off from places of power, right? Disables them from mentorships because they can't meet with men. And so she came up with like 10 other rules that could guard a marital relationship. In defense of Billy Graham, I don't think Billy Graham meant that rule for everyone. I think it was just for himself. But either way, if you use Tish Warren's rules or if you use the Billy Graham rule, both of those fall into exactly what Jesus is talking about. You need to cut yourself off from certain situations, certain media streams that you know are going to get you in trouble. And that doesn't mean we have to deny that we're attractive. That doesn't mean we have to sort of walk around and be deliberately frumpy or wear burkas or plastic bags. Being attractive is not a bad thing, but it does mean we have to guard the boundaries of this powerful drive that we all have. It helps guard us, body and soul. Because this is about our souls. When you go down deeper, this is about our souls. In his book, Sex for Christians, Lou Smead's talks about how sexuality, biblically, has three levels, each of them progressively deeper. The first level is, is the purely physical, right? That's the pleasurable response of sex, the glandular response. That's the part of sex that everybody understands and knows. And in the world, there's large segments of society that they want to just, that's the only level of sex that they acknowledge, right? And you can see that by the way our society talks about good sex, when our society talks about good sex, what do they mean? They're talking about the physical. They're talking about something pleasurable. But when you reduce sex to just the physical, you make it shallow, and you make it very very selfish, right? It's just about me and my experience. But that's, that is a, a legitimate thing. That's the first level of sexuality, the physical. The second level is the soul and the intimacy of souls. Let me give you an example to illustrate this second level, an innocent one, nothing graphic. Two high school 16-year-olds out on their very first date at a movie, sitting beside each other in a movie theater. They have been hanging around together at school, sort of at, you know, with a group of friends, hanging out in the halls, hanging out at lunchtime, and they've kind of noticed that maybe there's something going on there, a bit of a spark. And then one day at lunchtime, the guy's talking about a movie that, he, that uh, he saw the preview for, and he says, I'd really like to see that movie. And the girl says, me too. Let's see it together. And the guy 
maybe a little more quickly than he should, says, oh yeah, yes, Friday. And so there they are. They end up sitting in the theater together, side by side. Hearts pounding. And about an hour into the movie, the guy gets every ounce of his courage up. He moves his arm, and he puts it on the back of the seat where the girl's sitting. Doesn't even touch her. Doesn't even touch her. Just puts it there on the back of the seat. Now, what will she do? Will she stiffen? Will she lean away? He's watching to see what she does. She does neither of those things. She leans towards him and very gently puts her head on his shoulder. And they sit together like that for the rest of the movie. It's the only physical contact of the whole date. But when they get home that night and they're lying in bed, their hearts are soaring, their hearts are pounding. They are so happy. Why? It's not because of the physical sensation of somebody putting your head on your shoulder, even though that's pleasant. It's because of what that physical action means. It means, I like you. I want to spend time with you. I care about you. You could tell me your sad secrets, and I will hold them gently, and I will hold them close. It's not just about the physical sensation. It's about the trust. The act and the trust go hand in hand, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way relationships work. Scripturally and just in real life, these two things go roughly together, the trust and the physical intimacy, until you get to the ultimate gesture of trust when two people come for a wedding and they vow to be with each other as long as they both shall live. The ultimate in, in trust is paired with the ultimate in sexual intimacy, the act of physical vulnerability and literal nakedness where you are completely open to each other. That's the way it's supposed to go. And, and I could tell you that's the way it should be because the Bible said so, which it does, but it's also just, it's being human. It makes sense. Anyone who's lived and done relationships, this is how it works. And in our society right now, people have forgotten how to do it. The, the physical openness and intimacy is, is completely out of whack with the personal intimacy. And as a result, People are just crashing into each other and they're lonely and they're lost and they don't know how to do relationships anymore. And it's sad. Level one, physical. Level two, soul intimacy. Level three, the kingdom of God. So you get to that point where two people are completely open to each other. They vow to trust each other the rest of their life. And that trust and that love is sustained by the tool of physical sexual intimacy. The two things together in a marriage relationship. When that starts to happen, so much good, so much human flourishing pours out of that, right? These two people can support each other and trust each other through all the hard things. They can gently correct each other when one of them goes astray. They help each other on the road towards sanctification. And when this physical act is supported by also this physical intimacy, children come. And they're brought into this place of trust and kindness. And if they're raised in that, and if you get children, and if you get grandchildren, you get this beautiful, loving family unit. All of it's sustained by sexual intimacy, one of the tools to keep them close. And that, that, that family of trust and intimacy is something that can anchor a church and bless a neighborhood and build the kingdom of God. 
So ultimately, our sexual desire is a tool that God gave us for building his kingdom, which shouldn't surprise any of us. I need to say two more things before wrapping this sermon up. First, a word to singles, because the church forgets singles all the time. I just tried to describe how sex is a powerful tool to build beautiful intimacy between two people. And that's obviously a problem if you're single, but let me be clear, scripturally and in real life, it's only one tool and maybe not even the most powerful one. Intimacy is God's will for all of us, but there are other tools. Disciplined friendship. Spending time gathering together on a regular basis. Hospitality that welcomes the other person in and makes them feel safe. And one of the best ones of all, praying with someone where you open up your heart and you pray for the other person. All of these are incredible tools for intimacy. If you're a single person who for whatever reason, maybe you'd like to be in a relationship and it hasn't worked out, and sometimes that's overwhelming and that's very sad, let me just assure you there are other ways to get the intimacy that God wills for all of us. Second thing I want to say, For those of us who fall into sexual sin of one kind or another, and that's most of us, probably all of us, let me say this. When I do a wedding, sometimes if the bride and groom will let me do it, right before they do their vows, right? So we've done all the other stuff right at the point where they're about to make their vows to one another. I will go over to the baptismal font. I'll take off the lid and I will pour water into the font. And I will say, these two people are about to make vows to each other, the hardest vows you two human beings can make to one another, to be with each other as long as they both shall live. They do, as Christians, they do not make this vow on the strength of their attraction to each other or on the strength of their own faithfulness. They make it on the strength of the vow that God made to them in their baptism, to be their God, to walk with them as long as they shall live. Our faithfulness and our ability to cling to each other is not based on our own excellence, our own faithfulness. It's based on the faithfulness of our God. He, Jesus, is the bridegroom, and we're the bride in this relationship. And the bridegroom is faithful, and the bride, all of us, in one way or another, have not been faithful in this relationship. But the groom comes to us, and at great cost to himself, he picks us up, brings us home, he strips off our dirty clothes, washes away our sin, washes away our shame, and clothes us anew in robes that are new and clean and white. Thanks be to God for his grace and his faithfulness. Amen. Lord, you know how each and every one of us have struggled with this issue in one way or another, and you know the wounds we have, the struggles we sometimes have to discipline our imaginations. Lord God, we turn, as we always do, to you and fall on our knees before you and ask for your strength and your healing. And we pray that you will give us, this, you'll give us the strength to use this good gift of our sexuality as a way to bring us closer to one another and as a witness to the world of your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.